0: I named this incredible grace. Uh, After I did, I had to look up the word, the definition of incredible. Now, the dictionary says this, something difficult to believe and something that is extraordinary, which certainly fits our study text this morning. Our study is going to be from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. You're going to find it uh, in that Bible in front of you if you want to use that Bible. It's about page 864 or 66, somewhere in there. So, verses 40 through 56. So, while you're turning there, I am going to share with you two short, incredible stories uh, that I've heard. So, story number one. A while back, I was reading this story about this 13-year-old boy who was visiting over at a friend's house. And boys, being boys, as most of you parents and teachers can vouch for, they can get into mischief without much problem. So this afternoon, while the parents were gone, they somehow got onto the Internet and got onto the boy's mother's eBay account. And to their surprise they saw something that they were very, very much interested in. It was a retired, decommissioned U.S. fighter jet plane, and it was on auction to the highest bidder. And you know where I'm going with this, right? So boys being boys, what do you think they did? They upped the bid. Can you imagine the the mother's surprise when a few days later she got a phone call? Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Yes, this is she. What? What? You say, what? Well, anyway, this might seem like an incredible story, but it's a true story. And you know, my 91-year-old mother is, is still angry at me about that. <laughs> no, nah, that's not true. I told a little fibber there, because uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have Internet. We didn't even know what the Internet was. But anyway, all right. Story number two, I saw on the evening news a while back a story of this lady who lived in a village near uh, the city of London, England. And this lady lady was in trouble again with the local magistrate because it seems like for a second time she had registered someone who lived at her house uh, onto the voting rolls in order uh, to vote in an upcoming election. And guess what this uh, person's name was? It was Sophie Bull. Sophie Bull. However, it turned out that Sophie Bull was not a real person of all, at all, but it was, in fact, her cow. Now, that, it may be no, of no surprise that the prior election, she registered someone by the name of Jake Woofles. Now, Jake Woofles wasn't a person either, but it was, in fact, her dog. So, and again, there's no surprise that she did not show up on her court date, you know, to defend herself. So the magistrate fined her 100 pounds that she had to pay. So this also seems like an almost incredible story, but once again, it's true. Both of these two stories, while they seem incredible, are in fact true, which leads me to our study text this morning the story of two individuals, the story of a man and a story of a woman. So I'm going to read that to you if you want to turn there. Luke 8. I'm going to start at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and they are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, "Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus on hearing this answer answered him, "Do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well." And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James. The father And the mother of the child and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Okay, so that's our text. That's our study text. When I first read this story uh, a few years ago, by all appearances, it seems like there are two separate stories here about two different people. The story of a synagogue leader with a sick, dying child, a daughter, and a second story about a very ill woman. To me the facts regarding these these two people seem quite separate and quite standalone. But later on I had to reconsider that maybe my focus was entirely wrong. You see I began to realize that the focus of this story is not about the boldness of a man named Jairus nor is the focus about the faith of a chronically ill woman. I began to realize that the primary focus of this story is neither about the, the man or the woman, though we can learn something from both of them. I had to change my mind because I realized there are not two stories here, but just one. People, the primary focus of this story is about one person, one specific person. The primary focus of this story is about our our hero, Jesus. And it just so happens to a include two different individuals who have a grace encounter with him along the way. So let's look at the first grace encounter. This story uh, with Jesus and this man named Jairus. Let's look at Jairus's situation. Well, back in those days, there could be a synagogue in any town, village, where there could be found at least ten Jewish men. And within the synagogue, a leading man would be selected to be ruler of the synagogue from amongst the elders. And the ruler of the synagogue would be in charge of all the other elders. He would be in charge of the public services held there. And it was him who saw to it that people were appointed to pray, to read from the scriptures, and to teach. It was also the ruler of the synagogue's responsibility to care for and to maintain the synagogue. Such was this man we find here, this man named Jairus. So being ruler of the synagogue would mean that Jairus was a man of some power and some social prestige and in all likelihood some financial prosperity. Yet this man Jairus, even with his power, his social position, and his prosperity was also a man, we find here, a man in great need. Jairus was a man in great need. And there was a need that power and prestige and prosperity could not fix. And he didn't want it. He didn't ask for it. He had not planned for it. But yet, life dealt him this need regardless, nevertheless. And the need was this, the fate of his 12-year-old daughter, whose life hung in peril. She was dying. And we read that she was his only daughter. How was Jairus going to fix this need? How is he going to fix this problem? There's only one way. He had to have a grace encounter with Jesus Christ. This story of Jairus is interesting to me because time and time again in the scriptures, we find people time and time again... Who seem to have it all together, yet time and time again, they are people we find in great need. You know, the same thing is true with us, us people today. We can be men or women who seem to have it all together, who can possess everything this world has to offer, but under the surface, we can be people in great need. And until we have an encounter with Jesus, until we have Jesus, we have a grace encounter with him, we are going to have a void in our hearts, an emptiness in our lives that cannot be fixed. And we too, beyond the visible, even today, we can be people in great need. But like Jairus, that story we just read this morning, we too, we can have a grace encounter with Christ. Now that now now note this that a at the age of 12 years old a a a girl child uh, is considered to have reached womanhood at 12 years old interesting for a boy that it wasn't until a day after his 13th birthday was would he be considered a man now I'm not going to get into some long discussion why that's unfair but, <laughs> but nevertheless for us guys we say what <laughs> Anyway, regardless, Jairus' daughter had just come into the flower of womanhood. But even so, to her father, she was still his little girl. For 12 years of his life, she had filled his heart with joy, filled his home with laughter. He had watched her grow. He had watched her learn to walk, to talk, to sing. Her voice was a sweet music to his ears. You parents here, put yourself In this man's shoes. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes and feel his pain as he watched his daughter lying there dying. Now, maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you have walked in this man's shoes. I know I had to watch my my mother, my mother and my dad. I watched them grieve at the death of my youngest brother. And I know couples in this church here such as Joe and Dorothy Wood, and lately, just recently, Nathan and Margie Oliverson, I know that they have walked into that valley, that that dark valley. I mention these couple, and yes, I ask permission to mention their names because I think it is important for us to put a face behind the pain, and these people have felt that pain. And there may be others of you who have suffered such sadness. And I am so very, very, very sorry. I just cannot uh, understand the pain and the suffering that you might have gone through by losing your child. And listen to me, the rest of us here. It doesn't matter how much words of comfort we offer these couples, you know, how much we offer them, we are, our comfort is never going to totally take away the, these people's suffering and pain. It just isn't going to do it. So here, here we are. We, f- we find the little feet of Jairus, his daughter, motionless. They are still. They are turning cold. Her lips were silent. And Jairus' heart was about to be crushed. And he could not fix it. He was a man in great need. And for this reason, he humbled himself. This man of power, prestige, and prosperity. He ran to this guy he's heard of, this man named Jesus, because he had heard that this man can heal the sick. So he runs to him. Let's notice first how Jairus came to Jesus. First thing, let's notice that it appears Jairus came to Jesus in desperation. Verse 41 says he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. He was desperate because there was nowhere else to go. He was a man without hope and in desperation he came humbly to Jesus and fell at his feet. A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott taught a message on desperate times. Well, people, this is one of those times. Secondly, he came with an unexplainable confidence the gospel of Mark Mark tells us of this encounter he writes that Jairus said to Jesus come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live people that is an attitude of incredible confidence Jairus had a confidence that just if just if this man Jesus would come his little daughter would be made well So Jairus came in desperation, he came humbly, and he fell at Jesus' feet with an incredible confidence. And people, this is an attitude that we, you and me, we here today, we need to come to in our relationship with the Lord. Coming to that place in our lives where we say, I can't make it without him, without Jesus. I need Jesus. Jesus. Not just because we need salvation, but because it is, it's at the feet of Jesus where we get all of our needs met. It is coming to a place in our lives, uh, as Jesus taught on the Sermon of the Mount, where we are poor in spirit, where we realize our utter dependence upon Him for everything. Apart from Him, apart from Jesus, we are totally bankrupt. Jesus had told Paul who also had a great need, a thorn in the flesh. Jesus told Paul, "My grace is sufficient." And folks, that is what we need to realize as well. We need Jesus because his grace is sufficient to meet our needs. We need to get rid of that thing, that thought, that we are that self-deceit that we are able to do anything on our own under our own power and strength. We can do nothing apart from the Lord Jesus and his grace. So that's the situation. So the fix for Jairus and the fix for our great need is this. The fix is having a grace encounter with Jesus, admitting our need, falling at Jesus' feet in humility, calling out to Jesus in faith and confidence. So at this point of the story, uh, Jesus agrees to go, and he begins his walk towards Jairus' house. But, there's that word, but. But something was about to happen al- along the way, wasn't it? Along the road to Jairus' house, another unexpected grace encounter was about to happen, and it involved a chronically ill, unnamed woman. So let's look at this woman and, and her situation. Now, some would say this was a very untimely uh, encounter, an untimely delay, an untimely interruption. But a woman who had been ill for 12, 12 years was about to have a grace encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus had to stop. But the question is, would Jairus understand this delay? Here we are introduced to this woman who had a serious health problem, yet she fights her way through the crowds just to touch Jesus, to touch the hem of his garments. Why? Because of this. Because this woman was a person also in great need. Let's notice three things about uh, this woman. First, her condition. Verse 43 says that she had a flow of blood that had lasted for 12 years, It seems like this lady had been suffering from what doctors would call a female hemorrhage, a continual flow of blood, which gave her great distress and pain. And then, according to Jewish traditions, this condition also rendered her ceremonially unclean. That means she had been ostracized from Jewish society for 12 years. She had had, kept her distance from others, For 12 long years. She was not allowed to mingle with others, maybe even her family, because she was unclean and by touching them she would render them unclean. She was also forbidden to attend the services in the Jewish temple and in the synagogue. It says she spent all her livelihood, all her money on doctors seeking a cure, but to no avail. She was out of options, she was out of hope, but to Jesus, she came. She was about to have a grace encounter with Jesus. You know, I find it inter- interesting that she reached out to touch Jesus. She wanted to touch him. Likely, was she had some fear, again, because of by Jewish standards, by touching Jesus, she would render him unclean. Maybe, maybe this guy, Jesus, maybe, she was thinking, uh, he would be angry at her. Maybe he would be outraged at her. Maybe he would scream at her. She didn't know. But to Jesus she came, nevertheless, and she had a grace encounter with him. And he took her pain, he healed her of this condition, her suffering, and he sent her away. Now, looking at this woman, I cannot help but see similar characteristics for us. Maybe we are physically okay today. But maybe we are spiritually ill. We are spiritually sick. Let's look at sickness in the perspective in regards to sin. Sin is a malady that you and I all suffer with, every one of us. Because truly, again, we are people in great need. Our problem with sin will not go away. Apart from Jesus, apart from Him, there is no hope, there is no cure. There is only pain and distress. Apart from Jesus, sin is an incurative problem. Sin brings us spiritual darkness and sometimes may even lead to a physical illness. It brings us guilt that we feel deeply inside, and it can be an emptiness That plagues our lives and our hearts. Now, this lady, she was banned from temple worship. So, too, our sin can separate us, can ban us from God, as we are spiritually unable to enter into his presence. It is not until we come, come to him in the shadow of the cross, come to Christ and ask for forgiveness and to receive his forgiveness for our sins that our sin is removed, our guilt is removed, our, we receive spiritual healing, and then we can experience a freedom to approach a holy God. It says this lady exhausted every effort as well. You too, and, and I, we can spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and sometimes a lot of money attempting to rid ourselves of this emptiness we feel inside. We try to fill it with things. If I can just have that thing or that shiny thing. Or we try to fill it with people. Oh, if I could just have her. Or I could have him. I know I would be happy. We will try one thing after another after another. We will will try things that will make us happy. We try to rid ourselves of that guilt. We try to rid ourselves of that past. But regardless, we will fail. And the result is like this lady here, we will end up poor and needy. We will feel helpless and hopeless. Those are the very characteristics of sin, and it is a good illustration for us. But even as soiled and as unclean as we are in sin, if we reach out to Jesus, if we take hold of his hand, he will put away our sin. As far as the east is from the west, He will remove our sins from us. He will take our sins and put it into his sea of forgetfulness. He will heal us. So that was her condition. Secondly, let's look at her conviction. The Gospel of Mark uh, quotes the lady as saying this, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So she had this conviction. She had this faith. The writer of Hebrews says this, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, this lady had that trait. She said, if I can only touch him, I know I will be made well. And with her hand, she reached out and she touched Jesus, touched the hem of his garments. And what does that say to us? She didn't actually touch his skin. She touched the hem. It tells me that I only have to go part way. If I just start in his direction, he is going to meet me there. He's going to come the rest of the way. We have another beautiful illustration here for us this morning. This woman with a touch of faith drew power from Jesus. Whereas the rest of the crowd, uh, pressing in around him, thronging him. Again, thronging means crushing him, touching him on every side, they weren't receiving anything. We need to understand this. To the one who says, if I just touch him, touch Jesus, then I know that I will be touched by the Lord. Now, how do we touch the Lord, people? How do we do that? One way is by worship. Worship will always touch the Lord's heart. And I'm not speaking about any great singing ability. But I am talking about an attitude, an attitude that we might come, for example, into this place on Sunday mornings uh, to, to sing, for worship, to have prayer, to get into a study, just longing to touch him and to be touched by him. Some people may come in here with a bad attitude. They may say, oh, I don't really want to go to church today. I really wanted to stay in bed or I wanted to go fishing or I wanted to watch the game. Now that those may seem like bad, but I have been there. You know, I I've had those same feelings at times, and it's okay for us to do that occasionally. You know, to, it's okay. We have that freedom. But every time you guys are gone, we put a, a, a mark on the on the blackboard about that. So th- I'm not saying that to to push it, but but we do sometimes come in here with a bad attitude. And guess what? If we come in here with a bad attitude, then there's there's. There's no wonder that we are not going to meet Jesus here. We're going to miss out that opportunity. opportunity. Others may come in here and are determined to meet the Lord here and to hear from the Lord, and they will. Let me ask you something. Did you come in here this morning with that sort of attitude? If you did, know this, that the Lord will respond to you. Reach out to him, and he will reach out to you and touch you. He will go the distance just to come to you. Now, thirdly, let's look at her confession. When she touched Jesus, she felt healing pow- he felt, Jesus felt healing power leave his body. So he stopped and asked, who touched me? Now, the disciples must have looked at Jesus like he was crazy. What do you mean, who touched you? Everyone is touching you. They're pressing on you. You know, they're all around you. They're nearly crushing you, Lord. So that's the woman's situation, and here is the fix. Again, the fix is having a grace encounter with Jesus. Admitting our need, falling at Jesus' feet in confession, reaching out and touching Jesus in worship. So why did Jesus ask that question, who touched me? A couple reasons, I believe. Reason one, although the disciples were focused with the crowds all around Jesus, the multitude, Jesus was interested in this one person, the needs of this one person. God is interested in one face in a crowd. Can you imagine that? One face in a crowd. So he is with you. He is interested in you. The second reason I think Jesus stopped is because confession was necessary. Jesus stopped to hear her confession. Jesus stopped because it was important for her restoration with all the people to whom she had been ostracized from for so long. Jesus wanted them to hear what had just happened to her. And Jesus wanted them to know that she had been made whole and that she has been healed. And notice also here that Jesus stopped to assure her of her healing and his love for her. You know, right here, he calls her daughter. This is the only time in Scripture where Jesus calls somebody daughter. And I think it is surely a uh, term of affection from the Lord to this woman, his child. You see, this woman, probably an older woman, was just as much his child as was that dying 12-year-old of Jairus. And here Jesus, like a loving father, takes the time along the way, did not feel interrupted. He takes the time on his way to Jairus' home. He takes the time and he picks up his daughter, another hurting child, and he meets her need. But these reasons are not the only reasons uh, Jesus stopped, uh, were they? No, Jesus was still thinking of someone else, another individual, while he took the time to minister to this woman. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Jairus was thinking while Jesus was delaying his walk to his house to heal his daughter? What do you think Jairus was thinking? I can see Jairus worrying and fretting what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you stopping? My daughter is dying. And you, Jesus, are stopping to ask why somebody touched you? What gives? I can see Jairus standing there, his arms folded, you know, keeping count, uh, foot tapping, you know, looking at his watch, uh, running his hair over his, his, his hands, through his hair, all nervous-like. The Gospel of Mark says this about the lady, that when Jesus stopped to talk to her, she told her whole story. Now, I know some of you, when you start telling a story, it goes on and on and on and on. So I don't know what the situation was here, but I bet Jairus thought that that story was a little bit too long. Jairus may have thought, hey, This lady's lived a long time. She's only been sick for 12 years. Yet yet my daughter, she's only 12 years old. She's only been alive 12 years. And we're standing here listening to this woman's story, this old woman's story, while my little daughter is dying. Can't this lady wait, Jesus? Can't she just wait a little while? Please, Jesus, let's go. Come, Jesus. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that Jesus not only stopped for the sake of this woman, but he stopped for the sake of Jairus as well. Because Jesus wanted Jairus to begin to doubt. Or he knew he was going to begin to doubt. He, so he stopped for Jairus. And I think that, that Jesus wanted Jairus to also hear this woman's story to hear this woman's confession and to take hold of that same kind of hope that this woman possessed. Family, you know, it is so important for us to share our stories with others. Now, you may not realize it, but you telling your story, the stories of of all the great things that the Lord has done for you, will give hope to others. They will think, well, if God did that for you, maybe he can do it for me as well. It's so true that your story will give hope to others and cause them to believe in things that appear to be incredible. Now catch this. Jesus said to this woman, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler of the synagogue's house came to him saying, saying to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. I imagine at that moment, all of Jairus was crushed. His emotions overwhelmed him. Maybe he was thinking, Why did Jesus stop? We could have made it in time. But now his desperation also dies. There is no hope. I'm sure many things were going through Jairus' mind at that moment. But what did Jesus say? It is like Jesus read Jairus' mind, which, by the way, God can do. Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Jairus had nothing else to depend upon nothing else to lean upon except the word of jesus so even though the report had come back that she was already dead his daughter was dead they continued their walk to Jairus's home same is true for you and for me here today we may at times be have great trials times of great sorrow Sorrow in our life, times of great crises, when hope has vanished. But we need to continue on. We must continue on walking with him. Jesus' words to Jairus tell us that fears are to be met by what? By faith. Jesus told Jairus, do not be afraid. sorry. Faith is the answer to fear. We must trust Jesus, trust that the Lord knows what he is doing, even when we think he is delaying answering our prayers. Even then, we need to wait with him. We must trust and we must have faith in him. We must take our eyes off our watches and keep them on Jesus. So the answer to Jairus and the answer to our fears here today is this, only believe. Believe in the work that Jesus has done. Believe in the words that he has said. And he continues to tell us. But listen, Satan likes to tell you it's too late. There is no hope. Things will never change for you. Your loved one, that loved one you've been praying for all these years, they are never going to get saved. You know, that ministry that you are stepping out in, it's going to fail. That habit you have, you're never going to have victory over it. Know this, people. Satan is a liar, and he has been a liar from the beginning. So like uh, Jairus here, Jesus is reaching out to you and saying, do not be afraid. Don't believe that enemy. Only believe me. So they continue walking with Jairus, walking home, and when they reach the house, they see all the mourners had already begun uh, wailing their wailing cry, their mourning. You see, it was customary in that times, not only the family would mourn, but they would hire professional mourners to come in. And death was a big noise, a big frenzy. And... Uh, Death was loud back then. They would actually rip their clothes and tear out their hair and rip their beards and cry very, very loudly. But Jesus said what when he saw these people? He said, she isn't dead. She is just sleeping. What? That seems incredible to to them, I'm sure, and it seems incredible to us. It seems like an incredible statement. What do you mean? She's sleeping. She's dead. We've seen her. We've touched her. See, folks, that is how Jesus, that's his perception to death. To him, death is not when the spirit leaves this body, leaves this tent, leaves this uh, earthly shell, when we stop breathing. That's not just his only conception of death. Death is deeper than that. Jesus once said, that some people are dead, yet while they live, while they breathe, they are dead. So to Jesus, death is being separated from him. Whether the person is breathing and alive, or whether the person, person is dead, the spirit has left the body, and they're lying in a coffin, in a casket, in physical death, if an unbelieving, believing, unrepentant person lives or dies in their sins, they are separated from him. They are also dead. Death to Jesus is not a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. Now catch this scene. It says the mourners laughed and mocked him. Mark goes into more detail, his gospel. So what does Jesus do? He puts them out. I like that about Jesus. Now he might have yelled at them, get out. Now, or he might have pushed them along, let them push them to the door and shut the door behind them. I don't know what he did, but he puts them out. Jesus put out all the mourners except Jairus, the father, the girl's mother, and Peter, James, and John, his disciples. And so, these six people were left all alone in the quiet of this room, with this little girl's motionless corpse. The father and the mother were brokenhearted. But Jesus walks to the side of this little girl, and taking her by the hand, he says, Little girl, arise. The Gospel of Mark records Jesus as saying, Talithi kumai, talithi kumai which is translated meaning little lamb, arise. Then Jesus takes her, lifts her up, and she begins walking around the room to the amazement of these witnesses. How incredible is that? Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he bring back this little girl? Well, it was not for the sake of the little girl because now she would be called back to a life that at times would include pain, would include heartache, weariness, and ultimately she would die once again. Yet Jesus did not call the little girl back for her sake, but for the sake of her father and the sake of her mother to heal their broken hearts. And he even called her back for the sake of his disciples. He wanted them to witness this as well. Now to finish up here today, You might be here this morning and you say, well, that is all fine. I've read this story about how Jesus healed that woman ill for 12 years, how he raised up this little girl from death, but he didn't do that for me. He never healed me. I have this or that condition, and he's never healed it. I had that loved one who was dying, and he didn't prevent that loved one from dying. That loved one did die. I didn't get them back. Why doesn't Jesus come through and respond to us like he did then? Why doesn't he respond to you and me like that today? Well, let me ask you a question. How do we answer that question if they were to ask us? How do we answer that? It's an honest question. Why doesn't Jesus always do that every time we ask? Well, I suggest we can find the answer to that question in the text that we've already read here. First, know this, that Jesus did not heal this woman or raise this little girl from the dead in order to encourage us to expect the same thing each and every time we ask him. In fact, Jesus told the parents, do not tell anyone. The real reason Jesus performed these miracles Was because he wanted us today to look at this healed woman and to look at this raised child closely. Why? Well, I suggest in order to cause us to have a new view of these things called sickness and death. It is a view that the world will never understand. The world will think it is incredible. It's unbelievable. But to us born-again Christians, repentant and forgiven Christians, it is a view that will give us peace and calm our hearts even in times of great need and great sorrow. Now I want to illustrate all these points we've looked at this morning with a final story from the life of Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, a great English Bible commentator who lived in the late 1800s and early 1900s. 1900s. It seems that Dr. D. Campbell Morgan also faced similar pain. A similar situation like Gyrus, When his own daughter also laid at the point of death. I'm going to read to you what he had to say. But I inten- intentionally wanted to put his picture up here again because I want you to have a face behind the pain. I want you to hear what this man said, what his heart felt, what he recorded for us. I want us to consider his pain, yet the hope that Christ offers, because someday we might face this situation. We might face this need. So listen closely and hear this man's heart. He said, I cannot hardly speak of this matter, the event we're looking at today, without it becoming personal and reminiscent. Remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first daughter lay at the point of death dying. I called for him, Jesus. I called for him then and he came. And surely he said to our troubled hearts, fear not only believe but jesus did not say she would be made whole she was not made whole on this earthly plane but she passed away into the life beyond but jesus did say to her talithi kumai little lamb arise but in her case that did not mean stay on this earthly level It meant he needed her with him. And he took her home to be with himself. She has been with him all these years, as we measure time here. And I have missed her every day. But his word, only believe, has been the strength of all these passing years. Now I want to ask the worship team to come back up, please. And while they do, I want you to please allow me uh, to put all that we've talked about today into a package for you to take home. People, this is what Jesus intends for us to learn from these accounts, that he is able to meet your suffering, our suffering, our suffering of hearts, no matter what the cause. When the world says, no hope, no hope, which the world will surely say, then we need to continue, like Jairus, on our walk with Jesus to our heavenly home. And we need to believe, contrary to the world's perspective, we need to believe in an incredible story, a story that we need to be part of. We need to trust in his words, trust in his promises, trust in his grace. We need to trust in that incredible grace. And finally, most of all, remember Calvary. Where 2,000 years ago, he stretched out his hands, those very same hands that healed that woman and raised that child from the dead. He laid those hands for you and for me on the cross where he bore our sin, he took up our shame, that we might be healed and be rescued from eternal separation of death from him. A death that we, he doesn't desire And we don't desire. He came to ransom us, to give us life, and to give it more abundantly. Do you want that kind of life in your world today, here today? Do you want that kind of life? Do you want that kind of life in the world to come? I do, and I hope you do as well. Only believe and trust in the work that he has done for you to raise you up from a spiritual death, from sin's grip. He did it on the cross, and he did it for you and for me. People, the cross and the empty tomb stand forever as an invitation to this day to have hope, to have faith in his grace, and to believe in what the world calls incredible, to believe in a risen Lord, So whatever situation you find yourself in today, he is still stretching out his hands to you, speaking to your heart, to fear not, only believe. And people, those precious hands are still nail scarred. He is saying to you, just see, just see what I did for you, how much I love you. There is no length, no road too long that he would not travel to get to you. Even a road to a cross. Now you reach out and you take hold of his hands and believe, and he will raise you up. He will raise you up on that last day and say, Talithai Kumai, little lambs, arise.